This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, there's exactly one week to go before the municipal elections and Mayor John Tory is in the House. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here, Libby. Thank you. Okay, so the polls show that you are way ahead of your closest challenger, Jennifer Keysmat, by a margin of almost two to one. But as we all know, it's not over until it's over. And before we get to my questions, I want to remind our listeners that you're here to take their calls and answer their questions as well. So the numbers again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Mayor Tory, with seven days left, what's your job in this seven days to secure your position? Just to continue to make sure people understand what I want to do when I go back to City Hall, if they send me there, which is uh, to build the transit plan. We've got to get on with actually building the plan that was approved by City Council and has been funded by the other governments. Uh, I've got to maintain the strong partnerships that led to that funding because we need to get them to uh, go to work on housing, affordable housing in particular. And we have a national housing strategy, which I work very hard with my fellow mayors and with the Trudeau government to achieve. Uh, We've got to make sure we keep taxes low so the city stays affordable. Uh, and we have to keep working at these partnerships. I mean, uh, running this city and building up this city is something that can't be done by the city government alone. Uh, we need all hands on deck, and that means maintaining strong partnerships with both Premier Doug Ford and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And I think people have to ask themselves which candidate do they think is you know most likely to be able to have a strong uh, partnership with both of those political leaders, uh, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau, to get things uh, to move Toronto forward. What do you think the ballot question is when people get in? I think the, the ballot question in most elections is about leadership. And I think in this case, it's about who do they think is best going to actually get transit built? Uh, who do they think is actually going to keep taxes low? Who do they think is actually going to be the best candidate to keep those partnerships strong with uh, both Premier Doug Ford and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Because it's not either or. And I think those are the kinds of questions, but those all really focus on the question of leadership in the end. And I think most elections come down to that. Um, and people have to ask themselves, do they want to turn away from proven, experienced leadership that works and go to something that is you know, much more untested and I would say even potentially risky when it comes to something like transit? Um, you know, we have people proposing that we should take the transit plan and rub a few lines out here and shuffle some money around there. And I believe that is going to be a prescription for what we've done many, many times in the past, which is not build anything. And I think that's been crippling to the city. And I think we've got to get on with it so we can relieve traffic uh, by building public transit. Jennifer Kismet has run on the issue of leadership. Uh, she criticized your leadership, called you a few names that were not so nice. Uh, how do you respond to that? 
Well, I respond by saying, I guess the voters get to make that decision. And uh, so we'll have an election a week from today, and the voters will decide whether they, uh, you know, will say, yes, we want more of the kind of leadership you've been providing with the recognition on my part. We have to do more to get the transit actually built. We've come a long way on all the different projects. We have a plan. We have $9 billion in funding we got from the other governments. They have to answer the question, who do they want to form uh, those partnerships that I talked about with the Premier and the Prime Minister? Uh, they have to ask themselves the question, who is going to keep taxes low. And I just think in the end, with all the name-calling put to one side, I haven't done any of that, but with all the name-calling put to one side, they'll make a choice next Monday, and uh, I'll abide by that choice. The voters are always right. Uh, but I think that the response I've received so far across the city has been uh, very positive. Um, very interesting. I mean, with with some of Jennifer Keysmat's ideas, whether you like them or not, they are bold and in some cases transformative. The things uh, that you come up with by their nature are compromises. That's what you need to do to get any kind of plan on anything through city council. So she argues that, that a compromise doesn't build a great city. What do you say to that? I would say that uh, there can be the time, there can be many times when uh, so-called bold ideas don't get anything done because they, in fact, create polarization. The fact of the way city council works is, yes, they need leadership, and they've had it from me. I mean, I, I was the one that initiated the development of a transit plan, but I had to develop one that would get the majority of city council. In fact, we did, the overwhelming majority of city council to vote for it. There are very few decisions that the mayor of Toronto, under the current legislative setup, uh, makes on his or her own. And so I would just say that uh, building consensus is absolutely essential. And building consensus as well, Libby, is important in a city like this. It's very broad and diverse. I mean, if you go all the way from we're sitting here in the center of downtown out to the furthest east stretches of Scarborough to the furthest west... Uh you know, stretches of Etobicoke and all the way up to Steeles Avenue in North York. I mean, there's a lot of different people in different neighborhoods. So the notion you can have any one set of ideas, I happen to believe a number of the ideas that she has put forward are ideas that relate very much to the downtown of the city. And the downtown is important. But there are an awful lot of other people who don't live downtown uh, who would say that some of the ideas that may be applicable to downtown are actually quite non-applicable to other parts of the city. Well, th that was my next question. Does this uh, set up, uh, you know, a conflict between the old city of Toronto, between downtown and the suburbs, uh, especially with the reduced number of wards? We saw that really play out in the provincial election. And still, at the end of the day, the downtown is the big economic engine. I, uh, well, the whole city is the economic engine. The people, some of the people who work downtown live in other parts of the city and vice versa. I would just say to you that I have studiously avoided and will continue to do so and have done so all during the campaign. But for four years, I've studiously avoided pitting one part of the city against another. Uh, because the fact of the matter is we have too many uh, problems generated by that kind of sort of rivalry that's a false rivalry. We're all part of the same city. What's good for Etobicoke is good for Scarborough. What's good for North York is good for downtown. And so you don't hear me uh, advertising, well, promoting... Well, very different takes on a lot of things like transit and like bike lanes and all those kinds of things. That yeah, really you know why? Going. Because I respect and reflect the fact, I think, from having spent the last four years, in fact, the last 20 years going all around the city to all parts of the city with all kinds of people, that many of these things that are put forward as cookie cutter, one size fits all solutions, in fact, can't be that way in a city that is as big and diverse as this one. And because what you do then is you say, well, the standard we think applies in one part of the city should apply everywhere. And I don't think that generally works very well. And you can call that 
compromise. You can call it consensus building. You can call it anything you want. I just call it the reality of this city, which is one part is very different from another, but we're all part of the same city. And I've spent my whole four years as mayor trying to bring the city together, focus on the need for a transit plan. When you look at my transit plan, it covers all parts of the city without exception. And every part of the city is going to benefit from it. And that's why we're doing it all at once. But that's the main reason I would say we have to do it and not start redrawing it and not start reconsidering it. Do it and do it as quickly as possible and do it in partnership with the other governments. Okay, let's take a call from Stephen in Parkdale. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Libby. Hello. I took your suggestion last Friday, went to the web pages. Still, I'm not sure. Hi, Mr. Mayor. I'm sorry, I did He said hi. Hello, your hello quest? there, Stephen. How are you doing? All right. Um, my, my problem is, based upon your recommendations, when she resigned her post as um, uh, city planner or whatever, uh, that I thought when the time came for her to run, based upon what you had said about her, she would have been a very good choice. I'm listening to her, I'm listening, and I'm looking at your record. Uh, to me, what she's saying isn't impressing me. Uh, I look at your record. You brought uh, decorum back to City Hall. You did a fine job with the United Way, the CFL. But, you know, and, and I, how much this is your responsibility? Crime violence has uh, increased. Um, the poverty rate for children has increased. Um, the gap between the rich and poor has increased. Uh, how, how do I go about saying I should vote for John Tory? Well, Stephen, I think that's a very fair question. And I would just say to you that really, um, you know, as a lot of these, I mean, I don't think anybody would suggest for a moment that I'm responsible for some of the challenges we've seen on gun crime this year, you know, personally. I think what people want to measure, people want to measure, what are you doing about it? And I would say in the case of that incident, or that matter, since you raised it, we're supporting the police, hiring 200 police officers this year and next with the support of Premier Ford's uh, provincial government. They're helping up with some money with that. We are trying to change the laws. I've been an outspoken national uh, advocate on behalf of a handgun ban, which I think uh, should be done in the city of Toronto, at least, and if not across the country. And thirdly, I'm a strong proponent of investing in kids and families. We're getting a lot of help from the federal government on that, Mr. Trudeau's government. Uh, And I think that's going to address some of the issues you talked about uh, that have to do with poverty, because the areas of gang violence and the areas where you've seen a lot of that happening are the same areas where we have high unemployment, high youth unemployment, high school dropout rates, and so on. And so um, we're acting on those three fronts to make things better uh, in that regard. And it's why I'll just conclude on the note of that's why I come back to these partnerships being so important, because we're getting the help from Premier Ford and his government on Uh, community safety and policing. We're getting the help from Prime Minister Trudeau on investing in kids and families, and that's why I want to keep that investment coming. Uh, But that's what we're doing on that, for example, and that's a good reason I think you should vote for me to continue those partnerships and to continue those three actions to make the city safer. Okay, thanks for your call, Stephen. Let's go to uh, John in Toronto. Hi, John. Hi, uh, Mayor Ford. Hi, everyone. It's uh, I'm, I'm Mayor, Mayor Tory. He's Mayor Tory. Mayor Ford was my predecessor. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No I had my mouth on the other side. Anyway, uh, Mayor Tory, it's uh, John. I, I want to congratulate you. I want to tip my hat to you for doing a fantastic job in the past four years or so. And uh, on and on. My, my question is, uh, look, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that you represent our city. Okay. Uh, you represent our city. We're the fourth largest city in all of North America. And 
my question is, my, that I'm very puzzled at, uh, that's why that Ford name came out, um, uh, the province is still concerned about the city losing money, about the city being in chaos. Uh, at, the only chaos I found uh, at, at, uh, at City Hall was when the Fords were there. But anyway, uh, I want to know why you're the least paid mayor in all the GTA when you do more work in one day than all of them put together do in a week. Is, is well, he I your think, chief negotiator? No, no, but I think, John, thank yeah. you for the question and for your concern. I think the other mayors work pretty hard, too. I know them, and uh, I know the kind of hours they keep. And I do the hours that I do, both because I don't seem to need much sleep, which is a bonus uh, in life, generally, if you can do any job. But secondly, because I think it's really important, back to what I was saying earlier about getting around the city and actually listening to people, being in all parts of the city, I think you have to earn this job and earn uh, you know, the right to continue to do it by being all over the city and understanding the concerns of people in different parts of the city. And with respect to the sort of chaos of the past, I would just say to people, well, I hope they will think back um, four years, and I hope they do feel that I've behaved in a sort of what I just consider to be a normal manner, but that's uh, something that's more conducive to getting things done. I promise to continue to do that and to represent the city in a way that people can be proud of. I've traveled the world selling the city, not too much, but I've gone on these trips that are very important to gain uh, investments that are now coming our way, not solely because of me, but I've helped. And so I'll keep doing that. And and, uh, you know, just keep using that same style to get things done at City Hall, working with the City Council and working with the other governments. And I think that is vitally important. And I'll just keep doing that if I'm sent back. Okay. Um, you mentioned working with Doug Ford. So uh, two questions. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, after the change to the number of wards in, in the city, mm-hmm. he, w- he, he made this comment. He's saying, I'm sure John Tory much prefers 27 wards. Frankly, when he said that, I thought he was kind of messing with you. <laughs> What's your reaction? Well, to my that reaction is uh, that I wouldn't have any idea how 25 wards will compare to 45 uh, until we experience it. Uh, and, you know, so sure. Uh, on the one hand, the debates will be shorter because there are fewer people able to, able to take their five minutes to ask questions and speak. But on the other hand, um, it's going to be a much bigger job for each and every one of those councillors. They will now represent 100,000 people plus, whereas before it was about 60,000. So, um, you know, look, I, I took profound exception to the process Mr. Ford used in bringing for that change. It was totally unnecessary to do it that way. They could have taken a measure of consultation, including, I would argue, a referendum to let the people participate, but it's done. And now my job is to make the system work. So you won't hear a lot of complaining or belly aching or observations from me because I'll be putting my energy into making the system work because that's what people expect me to do as the mayor. That's what I believe I'm sent there to do. Take the system we have, much as I may have concerns about it, and make it work to get transit built, to get housing built, to keep taxes low, um, to make this uh, continue to be one of the most livable cities in the world. That's my job. And again, with the right-left question, do you think that will kind of reduce the impact of the left or the so-called left at city council? We see that all depends on who wins the elections on Monday. And so Monday next week. So I wouldn't speculate on that again. I think that the two things we don't know, which is how's it going to work with 25 instead of 45, because we haven't tried 25 before. And secondly, who are the 25 going to be are both very relevant questions. But I, if you have me back in a month, I'd be happy. Well, it'll be maybe say two months because we won't have had a meeting until the 1st of December. Have me back. I'm pleased to come back and, and you can ask me how it's going and I'll tell you. But I'm not, I'm not going into it sort of saying it's going to be the worst ever or the best ever. I'm going into it to say my job is to make it work and do whatever we have to do to make sure that happens. Uh, you've made a couple of endorsements. Now, am I right that at the beginning of the campaign, you, has, you said you didn't want to endorse one incumbent councillor over another? 
Or am I, I, I said the original approach we took was we would not get involved in races that involved an incumbent. It wasn't necessarily there were two. Right. So I've only made really two endorsements plus a third for trustee. Uh, one, the trustee is Christina Blizzard, who's running in Scarborough, and oh. she's an excellent uh, person that I think would do a great job. Uh, and then I endorsed Brad Bradford as the councillor in uh, Beaches East York. And I think he's the kind of person that I think will be part of what I'm talking about here, a coalition of people who are coming to get things done. I'll bet you Mr. Bradford and I don't agree on every single issue. We haven't gone through the whole list, but the bottom line is he's a person, has experience at City Hall as a planner, and knows how to get things done. And then in the other one that you're making reference to most St. recently, Paul's, Joe, Joe Mahavik and, and, uh, and, and Josh Matlow, I simply made the case to people, and it's my own opinion, and people can take it you know, for what it's worth, that Mr. Mahavik uh, will be a person better suited to this smaller council where you have to have people get along to get the transit built, to get the housing built, uh, to get the anti-poverty measures. I appointed him last term as the poverty reduction advocate after Pam McConnell died. And it was because I knew I could work with him. And to me, the real key for this new council, whether there's 25 or 125, however long the meetings last, can the people being sent there work together with the mayor and the other governments and the community to get things done? And I just said I thought Joe Mahavik was a better choice in the context of that kind of collegiality that says you are going to really, really work hard to get results for the city as opposed to any particular point of view on things. And are there other endorsements coming in this last week? Uh, not None planned. I can honestly tell you there are none planned. But, you know, you take these things day by day. And again, if my objective is to get a council that works well together and to indicate there are some people who I think are more likely to, you know, work well with each other than others, I will not hesitate to say so. But as of the moment, I have absolutely none planned. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. Uh, Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Hi, Bob. Not bad. Yeah, I've, uh, I live in Etobicoke, and there's a number of things that's happened recently in the last few years that I'm very happy with. I'm liking the fact that we have the 311 where you can call in and you can get right through the Department of Interest. But my view uh, with the difference, I, I have a different view with um, John on taxes. I believe that the residential taxes of any residence in Toronto should have a one-time 10% tax increase, not commercial, industrial, or retail tax. Does that include you, Bob? Including me. I only pay, I only pay 1200 and change for an apartment, which is $400,000. 1200 and change. If yeah. I go across the street or go down, or I can see these buildings in Etobicoke from, in Mississauga. They're double. They're but, Bob, double. all I can say to you is this. Uh, whatever is going on in Mississauga or elsewhere, um, there are a fair number of people, I suspect, including some of those listening, who would say um, they're not in a position to be able to just say, give me 10% more. Uh, one of the biggest checks people write, if it's a check for 1200 bucks, there's an awful lot of seniors, for example, for whom the check they write, if it's 1200 bucks to the city of Toronto, is one of the biggest checks they'll write all year. And they are operating oftentimes on a fixed income, uh, some kind of pension income or retirement that they're taking out of an RSP. That and is. if I increase taxes 10% yeah. and then didn't show discipline uh, thereafter on increasing taxes uh, 5 6%, who knows, instead yeah, of doing what I said I would do, which is keep them to inflation, a lot of those people are going to be in real financial trouble. Um, and a lot of young people, too, by the way, who yeah. have done very precise calculations on what they can afford in their mortgage and their taxes. The problem with it is it's forcing the prices of these condos and apartments up. Because the taxes are so low... Like, if, if my taxes was up, my property value would drop. 
So somebody can afford to buy it. Mm, I'm I don't, not so sure I, about that. I'm not so sure about that, Bob. I think, Bob, Thanks your, for your, your call. Your, the value of your condo is being driven by the law of supply yeah. and demand. And the, right. the challenge we have is that there's lots and lots of people coming to Toronto from all over the world, which is a good news story. Smart people, and they're creating jobs and investing. And we need to build more places, including more affordable rental housing, for them to live. And there are a lot of people who bought their homes before these wild yeah. property spikes. I yeah. mean, that's good for them. I know yeah. millennials complain about it because the previous generations benefited, but but there's no way they could pay, pay bigger property taxes. But that's an irritant with a lot of people in the suburbs. The level of their taxes? Yeah. Well, again, my responsibility is to look after the people of the city of Toronto, and I think most of them have indicated. And again, people have a choice to make next Monday. I've made it very clear that I would keep property taxes to at or below the rate of inflation. And if people don't like that, because like Bob, they think we should have a 10% property tax increase, then they can vote for somebody who espouses that. That's what elections are for. Okay, another call from Etobicoke. Louise in Etobicoke. Hello. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. And um, uh, hello, Mayor, Mayor George. Hello, Louise. I, I, I just want to say that um, I feel you're doing a great job. Um, you present uh, like very, you're very professional, very uh, business. You have a business side, strong business side, from what I can see, as well as a, a strong political side, which I feel is a like a wonderful blend. Uh, I also find that you're very humble. I'm saying this because I've been listening to the calls and where um, your uh, main opponent, who is uh, Christmas, is that how you pronounce her Keys name? Keysmat. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, where that she will kind of put little subtle attacks on Mayor Tory. Sometimes not so subtle. subtle, I would uh, say. That's okay, though. Well, you know, but this is where the professionalism comes in. Uh, Mayor Tory keeps focusing on the issues. Okay, do you have uh, a question, Louise? I, I do. I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, that the, um, the development within the city, so this ties into the transit. On the weekend, again, as I drove along the Gardner, the 401, the 404, all we see are, we're, we become like a concrete uh, city, all massive developments. And I strongly feel that the developers who certainly benefited from the developments in the sale of the million dollar condos should have had some responsibility towards uh, the infrastructure, putting in the roads, putting in the transit to accommodate the hundreds of thousands of people that they're bringing in that it should not be almost solely on the property tax dollars. Well, I think, actually, in fairness, um, there are collected by the city development charges, they're called, which do uh, relate to a list of very specific projects that are required by the growth that's taking place. The, the theory of it is that growth pays for growth. And so I would only say to you that in past years, as we approved a lot of those very same big developments, you're seeing the tall buildings, we didn't do enough uh, of building the transit. We didn't do enough when it came to parks. So it's why I've come forward with the rail deck park idea. It's why I've got a transit plan now that we've got the other governments to add $9 billion to to help us pay for it. Uh, so I would just say to you, you're right. We've got more work to do making sure we catch up on that infrastructure uh, so that we can make sure we have enough parks, enough transit, enough uh, affordable housing to go with all the developments that you see, which are a positive sign of confidence in the city. But I think your point is uh, is well taken. Uh- I promise to bring up an issue in sure. in this neighborhood, and yep. that is that there's a temporary homeless shelter going in at Lamp- 
Lamport Stadium. Uh, this is Liberty Village. It's a very congested area. There isn't enough green space. It's a family area. Lots of small children here, lots of pets. Uh, this will take up to 150 parking spots during the construction. And, and again, it's process, but residents are concerned they were not consulted first. There was one so-called information meeting, but it, there was no chance for people to say, hey, these are the problems here. So, And, and they also say that the councillor, Joe Cressy, is completely unresponsive. Well, I will just say, first of all, and I think most of your listeners, the vast, vast majority, will agree that we really have an obligation for people who are homeless or otherwise displaced uh, to make sure, especially in the winter months, that we have a place for them to go. We just can't have people uh, sort of out in the street in the cold. And so I think people would also agree that it's probably fair to disperse the responsibility and the location of those different uh, shelters and respite centres across the city, that you can't just have them all in one place. Uh, In fact, because the need is across the city. I've seen for myself there's a surprising need uh, in terms of what people would think of uh, for people who are displaced and homeless in the farther reaches of the suburbs, you know, because there are homeless people there too, and people often forget about that. And so in this case, we had a piece of public land owned by the public um, where we could put a temporary building and use the word temporary, so it is not meant to be permanent, but it's a temporary building. Um, and I can tell you, the, they're temporary buildings by definition. They're meant to be moved. Uh, you know, that's why we bought these sprung buildings, they're called. And I would just say to you, it is part of making sure that as a city we're responsible, uh, including in the light of the high percentage of our shelter spaces occupied presently by refugees who haven't had their uh, cases dealt with yet. Uh, we have a responsibility to provide for people, and uh, that's what we're going to do. And It's a, an area that's hugely congested, and the loss even just of parking spots is going to make it uh, well, impossible look, to move. I would just say that, uh, you know, there are other areas of the city that aren't as congested, but they're so far away from anywhere that, uh, you know, you, the, the, the people that we're trying to help won't, wouldn't be able to find their way there easily. And so we're trying, as I said, to disperse the responsibility for looking after those less fortunate to different parts of the city. We're trying to do it carefully and professionally. Um, and, uh, you know, that that is what we're doing. And, and I just think it's one of those things where most people understand that it's a very challenging file. But most importantly, we have to be compassionate to the people who are um, in, in struggling in their lives and make sure that they're not uh, being asked to stay on the street in February when it's minus 25. And uh, you mentioned refugees. Nora in Scarborough, uh, you want to know how close we are to getting funding from the federal government for those refugees, yes. right, Nora? Yes, that's what I was... Well, I had so many questions, but I'm only allowed one. Okay. Well, on that one... <laughs> I'll say not close enough. Uh, uh, you know, to give them their due, uh, they've given us $11 million towards the cost of the refugees that we have sheltered while they've been waiting for their hearings to come up. And those hearings are, you know, taking far too long to uh, to be uh, to be conducted. And they're putting more money into that as well. Mr. Blair is now the minister in charge of that. And I take great heart from that because he cares about refugees and also cares about Toronto. But I'd say there's a large sum of additional money we've spent housing those refugees. Uh, and we haven't yet received that. We've received the first $11 million and been promised there's more to come. But I think we're working well with the government of Canada on that now. So I just hope that they will be sending another installment of the money soon because we're spending Toronto taxpayers' money. When we might when we might expect that? Well, it's hard for me to speculate, but I would certainly hope, let's say, by the end of the year, because uh, our financial year ends on December 31st, and we've actually spent a lot of this money uh, caring for the refugees during the year, and I would hope that we would get some of the additional money beyond the $11 million before the end of the year. So I'll put that yard marker down there, and uh, hopefully Mr. Blair is listening and can be uh, seeing if uh, they can't give us some more before then, because I think it would be fair. May I ask one quick question about the City Council? Sure. Uh, okay. 
quickly, okay. please. Yeah, uh, during the, uh, the, ele- the election process and so on, it came to our attention that some councillors did not attend regularly. Our councillor in particular, it was stated, uh, did not, she was absent for more than 50% of the meetings. We weren't aware of that. But our concern, of course, is we're not being represented 50% of the time. Now, does anyone uh, oversee attendance there or expect a certain amount of attendance to take place to be, for a counselor? To be truthful, ma'am, uh, the Toronto Star basically oversees it because what you have is a record of all the votes that are taken, and uh, then you can see which counselors were there for which vote. And so, so um, I will just say to you... Um, that um, the Toronto Star is the one that's done all the detailed calculations, and I give them full marks for that. And you can look it up on the star.com, and you'll see their listing of all the councillors and how they did but in terms of being there for Mer- the votes. Mayor Tory, uh, you know, with respect, should that be our responsibility? To- well, yes. No, I I'm, I'm not trying to dodge it. I'm just saying, I, I guess what we could do is we could do the same math and have the city clerk publish the, exactly the list and do the math on it and tell you. But I'm just saying the Toronto Star does it, and if you, I'll take it under advisement that you would like to see us put out the list and do the math because it's the same list. And, and Nora, it would still be up to you to, to look up the information uh, and to, I mean, I think that's a responsibility of all voters. Nora, thanks yeah, for your call. But I think your point's uh, yeah. well taken. We could do the same yeah. calculation and put the yeah, list out. Yeah, but why, why But I think bother? people should be held to account. She's right. We're yeah. sent down there to go to work. And I'm not there for 100% of the votes because I have meetings that I'm in and so forth. But I think I have a pretty good record and uh, others not so good. So people should judge that on their own and judge the explanation. Maybe it'll be better when the council meetings don't last uh, for days you know, and days. That's an interesting point. <laughs> okay, I know that uh, we're getting there are a lot of people who still want to ask questions. Let's, uh, let's take one from Joyce in Scarborough. Hi, Joyce. Hi, hi, John. Hi, Libby. Hello, Joyce. Okay, um, I advance voted. And guess what, John? You got my vote. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> Any, that. Anyway, At least I have one. I'm a senior. I think my mother voted for me. I took and my mother. Mom. I believe she voted for me, yeah. but I didn't go behind the screen to look. <laughs> uh, I'm a senior, and I, uh, Wheel Trans is wonderful. And I think any support um, that you can further give to Wheel Trans, because we're the biggest voting demographic, I'll just say to you, and I'll thank you very much, and I'll have to make this the last call that I participate in, but we have increased the investment, I think, by about 20%, 20 to 25%. And what we've used that for is to improve service and also to buy different kinds of vehicles or even uh, make arrangements to lease them. So we have those uh, accessible taxis, lots more of those. Those are, in fact, privately run. We have the smaller buses for Wheeltrans and the bigger buses. And I think the whole idea is to make a system that is more flexible to accommodate the needs. I I saw uh, two people just yesterday who told me they go to doctor's appointments in the accessible taxis because they don't need anything more than that, whereas the buses take larger groups to different places downtown and so on. So I will just take that as a word to the wise. An interesting fact that the people who listen to this radio station know, um, this year, last year, 2017, for the first time in the history of the city, there were more people 65 plus than there were 15 and under for the first time ever. And so that's a message to us that are in government that we have to make sure on things like wheel trans, the city signal timing going across the street. We've extended the signals at pretty well all intersections to allow a couple of extra seconds. Uh, How we deal with supports being provided in housing to people who are seniors, that we have our job to do to take account of those uh, changing demographics uh, that are changing in favor of uh, people who are a bit uh, bit more senior. 
Okay. Thanks, Joyce, for your call. Uh, Mayor, I know you have to go, but I am going to paraphrase a, a question on the same Last subject. One and then I will yeah, leave. from uh, Diane, who says that the new that it's hard for seniors to board the new streetcars. It's funny because it was supposed to be the opposite, and and we went to incredible expense. I mean, even on the sort of little uh, islands where you get on and off the streetcar, they were they had to be modified to take account of what's supposed to be a much more accessible uh, entrance for the streetcars. But I will go back. I, I haven't heard that. Uh, I, I literally have heard lots of different things about why we don't have more of the new streetcars and whatnot, but I have not heard that. Um, and so I will go back and ask about that and see if they have a lot of complaints because it was meant to be that they were more accessible for people with strollers, for people who are uh, more senior, for people with uh, you know all kinds of different uh, needs. So I'll go back and, and inquire. Thank you very much for that input. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks so much for being with us. And I will make that date to come back, say Absolutely. maybe after the January the 1st, because then we'll have had a couple of council meetings. And I can tell you, uh, at least our early on, whether it seems to be working better or worse, because I just don't know. I guess we're going to find out, and I'm going to try and make it work. Okay, and we look forward to that, and And thank good you luck. to the listeners for all the good calls. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, people, we're taking a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about minimum wage and a campaign to restore the promise for a $15 minimum wage. Is I have any hope of succeeding? We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.